morning. So we're still in Matthew, and this week uh, the title of the message is The Objective. Jesus is going to be talking about rules and rules that God gave us, and we're going to talk a little bit about the reason that God gave us the rules that he did, and then the goal is to actually find rest as we follow the rules. Uh, I'm going to jump in and just say my big idea in the front end, and then we'll work through all the the passage and, and develop it. My big idea is this, Jesus rejects legalism, and we'll define what that is, uh, because the objective is a restful relationship with God. So this is a continuation in some ways of last week. We talked last week about Jesus offering rest. Remember, come to me, those of you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so Jesus is still talking about this idea of rest. It's still there. And what he's going to talk about specifically this week is the idea of Sabbath. Uh, and we'll develop that a little bit more fully. But I think about it this way before we start. Just have these things in your mind. There's the letter of the law, the things that the, the law, the rules actually say. And then there's the intent behind it or the spirit of the law. And so we're going to actually deal with both of those ideas. And, and just be aware that there's sometimes something that is said specifically that's in the text but there's also a reason why that thing is said. And sometimes that's a little bit more important. Don't ignore the words that it actually says, though. That's not what we're saying. So we're going to jump right in, and we're going to talk about the idea of Sabbath. So what is Sabbath about? Thou shalt not work. Not really. That's not in the Bible. That's my first point. We're not going to go there. So The Sabbath, as we know it, wasn't just part of the law. So the Old Testament law, that's where we think of Sabbath coming from. But it actually is set up a little bit before that. If we look back in Genesis, God creates the world in six days, and on the seventh day, he rests. And so that is setting up a pattern for work and then rest. That's that's the, the main idea there. And when we get to the Ten Commandments, it's reinforced. If you know the Ten Commandments, then one of the commandments is about the Sabbath. Most of the commandments are very short, like, don't murder people. You're like, oh, I get that whole idea. It's one sentence. I'm good with that, right? The the Sabbath rule is a little bit longer, though. If you look at Exodus 20, it's actually the longest of the commandments for actual word count. Exodus 20, starting in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all, all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." And so the, the rule for Israel was you're not allowed to work on Saturday. That's the Sabbath. And also, you're not allowed to make anybody else work. Right? That's it. Your animals can't work. Your kids, you can't send your kids out and be like, no, Sabbath doesn't apply to you. Like, no, you, have, you can't do that. You can't hire people from outside the community to come in and do the work for you on Saturday. It's nobody has to work. Nobody works. And so God commanded that for the nation of Israel, and he was very serious about it. There was a death penalty attached to this one. So if you're intentionally working on the Sabbath day, God was like, yeah, no, you're definitely not allowed to do that. And it was unique in the world at that time. 
Like, we live in the Western world, and so we're pretty used to, like, expecting Saturdays and Sundays off. Or, you know, if you're in automotive, you get, like, half a day off on Sunday. That's different. Um, but, like, in general, you can, gen- you can say, like, no, people, people expect a weekend off or a day off a week. That's, that's pretty broadly accepted. Nobody in the ancient world did that. Israel was the only nation that took a day and said, we're not working on this day. And, and the reason for that was supposed to be a reliance and a focus on God and, and allowing God, like refocusing your life on God and then relying on him to provide even though you weren't doing any work. And what happened instead is there was this whole list of rules that came out that connected back to the Sabbath keeping. There was 39 categories of work and you couldn't do anything that fell into one of those categories. And some of them are a little bit ridiculous, meaning you couldn't drag a picnic table outside on Saturday because you might make a, like a line in the grass, like it might tear up the grass in a line, and that might be considered plowing, and plowing was one of the rules you're not allowed to do that. So like no moving the picnic table. You're like, that seems a little bit ridiculous. However, this is the context that Jesus is speaking into. So when Jesus talks about Sabbath, he's got these 39 different categories and all the possible permutations of those categories in mind when he talks about what other people say about the Sabbath day. So we're going to be in Matthew 12, and we're going to talk about how Jesus deals with that. So Matthew 12, starting in verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry. And they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat or for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read the law, how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? So the rule, apparently, that the Pharisees want to keep is thou shalt not eat. I also don't support that one, just for the record. <laughs> so, so that we're aware, at that time is not chronologically specific. So Jesus, this didn't happen immediately after what happened at the end of chapter 11. Matthew's kind of grouping these together so that we understand kind of Jesus' idea about rest and about Sabbath. Uh, but this isn't like the next day or something. It's, it's just generally a topical thing. To get into the cultural situation a little bit more, the disciples aren't stealing here. The grains at the edges of the fields along the roads were specifically left for hungry travelers and for poor people. So if they're grabbing something along the side of the road, something similar for us today is if you went out for a walk in your neighborhood and you had a close friend that had an apple tree in the front yard and they constantly were telling you, come on over and get some apples. And you're going for a walk and you're like, I'm kind of hungry and wow, my neighbor's apples look amazing. And I'm gonna grab one and I'm gonna polish that off and I'm gonna eat that while I take a walk. That's the equivalent for us culturally. And I can say that because it's October in Michigan and so we're right there in apple season. For the Pharisees, though, grabbing a couple of heads of grain and eating them or grabbing an apple off a tree is exactly the same categorically as going out and working a 10, 12-hour day in the field harvesting fruit for your family. Like So they see that as a category of harvesting, therefore it's work, therefore you're not allowed to do it. So there's not really a prohibition of you know, snacking uh, under the law, but the Pharisees kind of added that to the list. And when you think about this, I do more work going to the kitchen to get chips and salsa than they're doing. This isn't, 
this isn't work. Like, this is just, I'm feeling a little hungry on a Sunday afternoon, Saturday afternoon, sorry. And so if we were faced with this, with this attack, right? Like, this is, they're like, no, you're not allowed to do that. We would be like, come on, man, settle down. Just, just chill out. Like, this is a little bit excessive that I'm not allowed to go to my fridge on a Saturday. Like, this is dumb. Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't even argue that it's not work. He actually says, there's two categories of work that are technically allowed under the law, and I want you to answer me why those are okay before you tell me that this is not okay. So the two examples are David and the priest. The first is David. He talks about the bread of the presence. So what happened back in the Old Testament? There's the tabernacle. Outside the holy place of the tabernacle, there's a table. And every week, they would put fresh bread on this. So there was 12 loaves of fresh bread. They'd put the bread on there, and it was called the bread of the presence. Uh, and, and only the priests were allowed to eat that. So they'd set that bread there, and it was supposed to represent God providing for us, you know, food. And so they put the bread there, and it sort of represents that for a period of time. And then the priests come, and the priests are allowed to eat it, but only the priests are about to eat, allowed to eat it. If you go to Samuel 21, or 1 Samuel 21, David is on the run from Saul, and he gets to the tabernacle, and he's like, hey, me and my guys are really hungry. Do you have any bread? And the priest says, well, we only have the bread of the presence. And David's response essentially is like, cool, I'll take that. He shouldn't have been able to do that. <laughs> like, that was not actually allowed, but David's not judged for it. There's not a criticism of him. He's, there's, there's no sort of negative results that come out of that. The other example that Jesus points to is the priests working in the temple. If you look at the, the whole Levitical system, the Sabbath is supposed to be a day of no work, and the priests also were supposed to do twice the amount of work on a Saturday because there was twice as many sacrifices that had to happen. So all the priests are getting overtime on Saturday, and everybody else is not allowed to work, and it's okay that the priests are getting overtime. Nobody, nobody's bothered by that. Jesus says they completely ignore the rules. Like profane is just like they're not even paying attention to it. They ignore it completely, and that's still okay. Why is that okay? And so Jesus responds to these two stories, and he explains it. He gives a couple of reasons why these are okay. So the first one is in, in verse 6. Each, each reason is conveniently in its own verse. I really appreciated that as I was doing this. It's <laughs> These handy little things, you know? Uh, so verse six says, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. So if Jesus said someone greater than, than the temple is here, we would immediately say, well, it's Jesus. Jesus is greater than the temple. He says something, so a little bit of confusion. Probably what he means is that the kingdom of God, which he's been preaching for the last like five, six, seven chapters now, the kingdom of God is arrived. And so the kingdom of God, if you remember, is the presence and the ruling of God in, to the degree that we'll allow it. So we participate in the kingdom of God as we allow God to rule in our lives, and the kingdom of God grows as the rule and reign of God over the world is, increasingly comes to be. And so when Jesus says the kingdom of God is here, and that's better than the temple, God's presence was very specifically in the temple. But as the kingdom of God grows, then God is there throughout his kingdom. And so this is an expansion of, of the presence of God and the rule and reign of God. And so when Jesus says it's better than the temple, he's saying the temple's good, but this thing that's coming is way better than that. And you need to be aware of that. The presence is important. The, the rule of God is very important. 
Verse 7, his next reason is, and if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless. So David broke the rules because he was very hungry. And Jesus is saying, you know what? Maybe we can take a pass on some of the ritual rules to feed somebody. Right? Like, mercy, giving someone food when they're hungry is more important than maybe all of the details of all of the rules. Maybe we need to focus on, on that part of it, the mercy part of it. Craig Bloomberg says this about it. His approach is not arbitrary, but based on God's priorities of putting compassion above ritual, with Sabbath, which Sabbath keeping can so often hinder. So if you're so focused on all the details of all the possible stipulations of the rules, sometimes you miss actually caring about people. And when we use God's the law the way that it's intended, it helps us in our relationships and it helps us have a better relationship with God. But if we use the law to push people around, it, it totally doesn't, it's, that's not what it's intended for. The third reason he gives is the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So the priests broke the Sabbath because they were serving God. And he's saying, God is the one that creates the rules and he's the one that's more important than the rules. So serving God is a higher priority than following any of the details. We struggle with this a little bit because in the West, the rules are the most important thing, right? So our whole government system is set up so that the laws are over all the people. Like the president has to obey the law. The Congress has to obey the law. The Supreme Court has to obey the law. They also get to interpret it, but they're underneath the law. They're not over the top of the law. In a monarchy, that's not how it goes. What the king says is the most important thing. What the king says is law. And so in a monarchy, like the one that God rules and reigns in, it's, it's what he says that's much more important than the actual rules. And so if he says, you don't have to follow this rule, then you get a pass because he's more important, right? And so serving God is more important than actually following all the rules. I recognize that that puts us in some sticky spots with some rules, and we probably need to work some of that out. I understand that. But also, ultimately, obeying and serving God flows from the character of God, and the character of God is the most important thing. And Jesus, by saying, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath, he's referring to himself. So he's saying, I get to tell you what you get to do on Saturday and what you don't get to do on Saturday. Like, he's the one that's in charge. He gets to interpret it. You don't get to go to Jesus and be like, so I decided that this rule that you made needs to be interpreted this way. If Jesus says no, then the answer is definitely no. So those, those are the three reasons that Jesus gives. The first is that the kingdom, the kingdom of God, is over and more important than the temple or the law. Mercy is the goal of the rules, right? The relationship with God and, and having compassion on people is, is the goal of actually what the rules are. And then ultimately, Jesus is the one that gets to best de de decide how the law applies. Jesus is the most important piece. So that's the first confrontation that Jesus has with the Pharisees on Sabbath. The second one isn't the Pharisees coming to Jesus. It seems like Jesus kind of picks the second fight. Verse 9, and he went on from there and entered their synagogue. So synagogue was like their church, but not the temple. It's like a local worship place where, you know, if you couldn't get to the temple, that's where you'd worship. Verse 10, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so they might accuse him? And Jesus said, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? 
of how much more value is a man than a sheep. So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored, healthy like the other. So the other thing that the Pharisees said is, thou shalt not heal, very specifically on Sabbath. That was one of the things that they had decided was work, and so you're not allowed to do that. So one of the 39 categories is non-life-giving medical intervention. That's one of their categories of work. And so for Jesus to, to heal a man's hand, that's not going to save his life. It's going to change his life, but it's not going to save it. Uh, that would be considered work, and so that one's, for them, not allowed. And Jesus is kind of like, did you think this through? Like, do you even care about people? You care about your animals. I get that. But do you care about people? You'll do something to save your animal, but this person is created in the image of God, and you're going to deny them the opportunity to heal. There might be an application about people caring more about animals than people. I'm not going to make that, but I'm just... In our culture today, that might be a thing. I'm just, just an observation. It is easy for us to dehumanize people we don't know, though. To say, like, I don't care about you, and so I'm going to institute this rule because I don't actually know you. But think about how this would land in that synagogue. Like, you come to church on Saturday morning, and you're, you know, it's just a normal Saturday morning. You're going to worship, and, and you're happy that you're there. And, and you walk in, and you're like, hey, this is my buddy Abe, who's handicapped. And I love Abe because he's always got a smile, even though he doesn't have a lot of money because he's handicapped, and he can't work a job, and a lot of the jobs are physical labor, right? So he's got a disability. And so I, I love him. He's, he's a friend of mine. We worship together. He's got a great voice, like all this different stuff. And you come in, and then you realize there's this guy that heals people all the time that's at church. That's pretty cool. Hey, Abe, if you want to go up later, I'll walk with you to see if this guy can heal you. We know that he's done this before. There's a distinct possibility that you can be healed. And before the service starts, one of the elders stands up and they're like, by the way, no healing today. What? Like this, he needs this. You realize that this could help him. This could change his life. What, why are we just deciding that the guy that can obviously heal can't heal today for my friend? Notice that the disciples don't say that Jesus can't heal. That's not the argument. It's actually, no, 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 we don't want you to do that today right now. Like, that's not, that's, we're not allowing that. Like, you have to do a different day to do miracles. You have to do a different day to let God help people. And Jesus is like, do you care about people at all? Never mind, don't answer. We know the answer is no. Like, that's obvious that you don't care about people if you're making rules about when you're allowed to heal. And so Jesus' actual thing that he says is God didn't make any rules about not helping people. That's not God's goal. That's not what God was trying to accomplish. He wants us to help each other. And so he didn't make any rules about that. John Corson says it this way. When you become bound up in regulations, traditions, and religious rituals, your heart becomes cold and hardened towards people. And so the end result of this is that we have to think through what God actually said and how we can apply that rather than just deciding that we know what God wants and just deciding that, okay, well, God said this and I made these four other rules about that, so this is how we're gonna work this out. Again, the big idea is this. Jesus rejects legalism, extra rules, 
because the objective is a restful relationship with God. Okay, so Jesus tosses out what the Pharisees say. How do we interpret this? If Jesus is truly our rest, like he said in chapter 11, he said, come to me if you need rest and I'll, I'll give it to you. What is commanded about Sabbath to the Jews isn't directly for us. Jesus is our rest. We're supposed to find our rest in him. So we don't have rules about when you can work, when you cannot work, what, what's acceptable on Saturdays, what's acceptable on Sundays. Those aren't rules that we have to think about or worry about because it's all in Jesus. It's supposed to rest in Jesus. But, <laughs> and this is where we struggle. The concept of rest is something that God created and built into the fabric of the universe. And so while it's not a rule, it is a principle that we need to be aware of and that we probably need to find a way to apply in our lives. So we need to take time to rest, to focus on God and worship, to reconnect with people that are important to us. Like that's, that's all a part of, of what it is. It's not a rule. There's not a specific day that it has to happen on. But it is, like I said, it's built into the way that we are. And so if we choose to not do it, it goes badly for us. So taking a day that we, we need to set aside and intentionally rest, take a day off from, from physical labor, take a day off from mental labor, take a day off from you know, all the things that stress you out and focus on what God has done and give him glory and spend some time with people that you love, that sounds a lot like a thing that we need on a regular basis. And so part of the motive of the Sabbath was to make sure that people did that. There's also the idea of, you know what, I trust God that 15% more work this week isn't going to actually make so much of a difference that I have to do it. I can let it go, I can trust God, and I can refocus on, on what's really important. And when I think about the times in my life when I haven't paid attention to this, and by the way, I had to take a good long time to look at the concept of Sabbath like four years ago because I was going to burn out again. Like I just had this thing where I burn out on a regular basis and it's bad and it's unhealthy and I recognize that. So this is not me telling you like, oh no, you have to rest because I'm so good at it. Look at me. Like no, I'm, I'm better at it than I was 10 years ago. I'll say that. That's about the most that I can do. But like there have been times in my life when I'm, you know, mandatory overtime or so many hours that I have to work in a week and I kind of click into robot mode where I'm not good for anything other than work, right? Like you go in, you work super hard and you're good and you're functional at your job and you get home and you can't have relationships because like you're still in work mode. And then you go to sleep and you dream about work and you get up and you go back to work again. And, and you don't get that time to connect and to rest and to relax and to unplug a little bit. And when I get there, I get super cranky and angry and I'm miserable to live with. And I know this about us and I, I don't think it's just me. I think a lot of us get there if we spend enough time just working. And if we continue in that, it damages our health. Like we know that if we work so many hours a week, it'll kill us early. Like we can, we can do the stats on that. We can figure that out. And we're like, yeah, I'm probably fine at this level for now right? And I'll rest when I'm dead, I guess. I don't know. 200 years ago, there was a 14-year-old kid named Robert Murray McShane. He graduated from Edinburgh University, 14 years old. So smart dude, right? 
He was so passionate about Jesus and his relationship with Jesus. He's a poet. He's an author. He goes to seminary. He graduates, and he gets a, a church of over 1,000 people, and he's still in his early 20s. So following Jesus, passionate about it, very good at preaching and teaching and writing, he's a genius. He worked so hard that his health broke, and he died at 29. Before he died, he said this, God gave me a message to deliver and a horse to ride. Alas, I have killed the horse, and I cannot deliver the message. Now, that's extreme. But also, <laughs> if God calls us into a relationship with him, and he's got things for us to do, and we kill ourselves by working so hard, we're not going to accomplish what God asked us to. If we work till we burn out, we end up just being kind of useless. So, we need to take some time and rest and refocus and make sure that we're focused on, on who Jesus is and what he's done for us and the people around us that we love and let our bodies recharge a little bit. My first application question is this. When do I intentionally take time to refocus my life on God and to rest and nurture important relationships? When do I unplug? And if the answer is, Every spring, I take three days off. <laughs> That's not a good answer. <laughs> Again, I'm not saying you've got to take one day and completely do everything, and it's got to be a seven-day ritual and all that kind of stuff. Like, we're not under the law, but also, we're human beings that are going to burn out if we don't actually take the time to do that. The second piece is, what are the things that are actually forbidden? What's, what's our thou shalt not? So we have the same kinds of tendencies as the Pharisees to sort of set things up as spiritual rules. Like if you do this, then you're a good Christian. If you don't do this, you're a bad Christian. We don't say that, but we think it. And we have a tendency to look at the things that are important to us, the things that are helpful to us, and then say those ought to be there for everybody else. And so if people aren't as convicted about the same sins as we are, or if they're not doing the same things as far as spiritual discipline as we are, then we sort of decide that they're not as good of a Christian. And that comes across a lot of times as very judgmental. We have to take sin seriously. I'm not saying that we ignore sin. Jesus didn't actually throw the whole law out here. He says, these are some things that you have to think about as you apply the law. What Jesus does do, though, is he says, you know what? Those are your rules, not God's rules. Those aren't the same level. So I don't get to decide what sin is. I have to decide what God said sin is for me. And I have to hopefully trust the Holy Spirit in you to have that same decision. Now, we can talk about Scripture and what it says and why it says it and those kinds of things, but I don't get to just say, thus saith Nate, follow this rule. Like, it doesn't work like that, right? We know that that's not how it's supposed to be. And the reason is because God's rules are, are there because of his love for us. And so how I respond to his rules are, I recognize that he's a loving God, and I need to be obedient to a loving God, and let me see how this works out in my life. And the way that it works out in your life might end up being different. That doesn't mean that you don't love God. It means that God loves you and very specifically is impressing things on your heart that might be different from mine. And so we have to be aware of that as we talk about what the actual rules are. 
And if I'm saying something that you have to do that feels really painful and overwhelming and overbearing for you, then that may not be God loving you. That might be me putting the rule on you. And so if I'm doing something that makes me feel guilty, I probably need to repent. Like that's probably sin. But if something I'm not doing or, or I'm doing causes me to be ashamed, and there's no verses about it, but I just feel like this vague sense of shame about it, and even if I confess it, that doesn't go away, that might just be somebody's rule that I internalized, and I'm trying to follow their rule even though God doesn't actually say it. And if I'm doing something that helps me walk closely with Jesus and, and really stimulates my relationship with him, that's awesome. That's good for me. But if I look at other people and they're not doing it, and I start to be critical and judgmental of them because they're not doing the thing that helps me, that's not good. That's unhealthy. I'm handling that whole thing wrong. So my second question is this. What do I expect good Christians to do that isn't actually in the Bible? And I say that knowing that a lot of us have some fundamentalist tendencies, even if we were never a fundamentalist, even if we never had like a hard set of rules that we're going to die on, we still have those tendencies of, I know that good Christians do this, but I don't have a verse for it. <laughs> so you're going to have to just trust me. Like we do this in our lives. Am I here to try and impress God? Like if that's my goal of doing things, I can't impress God. He knows I'm a sinner, right? He died for that sin. And so if I'm doing something to, so that God likes me more, that's the wrong reason. Am I trying to impress the people around me? Because they're not going to sit in judgment of me at the end of time. <laughs> they actually don't matter at all. I love you guys, but you don't get to judge me in, in the final say of things, right? Like that's, we recognize this. <laughs> Amen. So Matthew wraps up this section where he, he challenges the Pharisees specifically to think really hard about what the rules are. And Matthew pulls this section together by referring to a prophecy that, Jesus made, that was made about Jesus in, in Isaiah. Look at verse 14. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not put quench until he brings justice to victory and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Jesus serves. And I'm not saying that he doesn't have rules. I'm saying the rules above aren't Jesus' rules, but Jesus responds to those with service. The, therm, the theme of the servant of the Lord is throughout Isaiah. And so this section in Isaiah 42, I love. If you ever want to explore the idea of the servant in Isaiah, I would love to do that. We can nerd out together. It's amazing. Um, but there's, there's a lot of things that Matthew connects back to this idea. The, I think the one that really resonates in this passage, though, is that Jesus isn't there to lay a bunch of extra rules. Jesus is there to love people and to serve people. He's fulfilling Old Testament prophecy, yes, and also he's here to serve. 
Jesus is the servant doesn't fight about the rules. He sees what the Pharisees are doing. He recognizes that it's wrong. And rather than go toe-to-toe with them, he says, you know what? You keep your rules. I'm going to go. I'm going to heal people on Saturday. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to continue to proclaim justice. I'm going to continue to heal. I'm going to do the things that God has called me to do. And I'm not going to fight about it because, honestly, it's not worth it right now. There comes a point where Jesus goes back and sort of initiates some conflict with with the, the Pharisees, and that's what ends up having, they kill him, right? We know that. But right now, he's like, you know what? This is not a battle that I'm gonna fight. I'm gonna let them follow their rules, and I'm gonna separate myself, and, and I'm just gonna not deal with it. I'm gonna do what God called me to do. I think sometimes when we're right, and other people have a bunch of rules, it's really hard for us to not fight about it. And we need to just say, you know what? I'm gonna be obedient to what God has called me to do, and I'm gonna not worry about them. Isaiah predicted that he's not going to go around picking fights with everybody. That probably needs to be part of the ways that we follow him. If you're a person that likes to pick fights about the rules, even if you're right, not a lot of biblical evidence to support that. So that's, that's good. That's helpful. But the real eye opener is in verses 21 and 22. Jesus the servant gently serves. Jesus has not done healing, he's not done working, he's not done accomplishing the things that God has called him to do. And the servant is described both by the things that he does and by the things that he doesn't do. He proclaims justice, yes, he doesn't hurt people. A bruised reed he will not break. You guys know how easy it is to break a bruised reed? Like, a reed is structurally the whole outside, and so if it gets bruised, like, most of it's already shot, right? It's bruised, it's falling over, it's almost completely bad. You just bump that thing, it's done, it's broken. And it's, we're, the assumption is that we're the bruised reed, and Jesus doesn't go there and finish it off. He doesn't, he's not so aggressive that he's going to damage a bruised reed. A smoldering wick. If you've ever messed with a candle or an oil lamp, you know, if that thing's smoking and there's just like a little tiny ember in there, like, come on, that's going to burn itself out. What do you mean he didn't put it out? It just went out on its own. No, Jesus restores, right? So Jesus doesn't put out the candle that's smoldering. He doesn't put out the wick that's almost dead. These statements point to how gentle Jesus is when he deals with people that are struggling. The goal of Jesus is always to build up. The rules can put people out. They they can bury people. They can quench people. And Jesus says, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to restore. We're going to give rest. We're going to give healing. We're going to let people eat. So Jesus' whole mission is to restore us to a good relationship with God. Right? So we're we're the smoldering wick. We're the bruised reed. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to make that right. And the good news is that Jesus already did the work for us. Paul says it this way in Galatians. We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So while the Pharisees are cranky about the law, Jesus is like, no, that's not the way to actually have a relationship with God. I'm going to fulfill the law for you, and I'm going to give you the relationship with God that you need in order to have that, like, that's what, that's what you actually need. So legalism, working super hard, following all the rules in order to make God happy, that's never going to work. 
that doesn't bring you into right relationship with God, that can't maintain a right relationship with God. That's, that's a broken model. It doesn't work at all. And Jesus says, you've got to come to me. You've got to accept that you trying to do the work isn't going to work, and you've got to let me do all the work. We can't save ourselves by following the rules. So Jesus followed every single rule and then died on the cross as the punishment for my sin and then swaps it out. He gives me his perfect obedience and he took my sin and died for it. And so when we think about rest, like that's the starting point, right? So we have this relationship with God because we couldn't do it. If we try and start out and say, I'm going to punch it out. I've got this whole list of rules and I'm going to handle it. You're going to end up with a whole bunch of rules that you followed, a whole bunch more that you broke. And if you rely on that to get you into heaven, you're going to end up in hell because that's, that's not how it works. We're going to not follow the rules. Jesus died for our sins. He took his punishment on, on himself. He doesn't load us with having to earn heaven. He gives it to us as a gift. If you've never experienced forgiveness, if you've never experienced peace with God or rest in Jesus, I invite you to do that this morning. Like, we can't follow the rules, guys. We know that. We still try sometimes. So then the question becomes, if I can't do it, and Jesus has to do it for me, when I look around, how do I treat other people that can't do it? Like we're bound up in our own legalism and Jesus had to free us from that and, and give us righteousness. And so then we look around and we're going to start judging other people about what they can't do that we also can't do. If we're going to follow Jesus' example, then we've got to be the same way. We've got to treat people as broken and hurting and, and show them the love of Jesus. My last application question is this. Do we serve and love the way that Jesus did? That's, that's hard. <laughs> the answer is no, we don't, right? But he does that for us too. Like we have to just submit to him, obey him, and, and do what he asks us to. So stepping back at this whole passage, we see sort of two levels of stories. Jesus is pushing back the Pharisees' expectation of the Sabbath, and Jesus is also healing and in spite of the social pressure. Jesus rejects legalism because his objective is a restful relationship with God. That's his objective for us. That means, first, God is very serious about us resting. God wants us to take time. He wants us to refocus on a relationship with him. He wants to be first in our lives. And so we do that by taking time intentionally there's not a rule about it, but we need to think through what it means for us to rest and to refocus our lives on God. And so when do I intentionally take time to refocus my life on God and to rest and nurture important relationships? That's the point of the Sabbath. We don't follow the Sabbath, but that was the point, and so we understand that that's the reason behind it, and so we try and apply that. The second idea is that Jesus doesn't like it when people make extra rules. Jesus is the one that knows what the rules are, and he's the one that handed out the rules that God gave us, and he's not a fan of you taking your rules and making them the same level as God's rules. So we have to evaluate for ourselves, what are our expectations for people around us, and what do we expect good Christians to do that Jesus doesn't actually ever say? And coming out of that, what we realize is that Jesus prioritizes a steady, restful healthy relationship with God. Not one dominated by rules, but one dominated by really just the relationship. That's, that's what's the most important people, 
part is. And as we learn that, as we understand that in our own lives, we have to look around and say, oh, I can actually help other people do that too. I don't have to load them up with rules. I don't have to judge them. I can say, I've got this wonderful, restful relationship with God. I wish that you could have that too. And we can serve them out of that. So the last question is, do I serve and love the way that Jesus did? That's not going to happen if we're not actually walking with God. We have to look at Jesus and recognize we find our rest in him. And then as we find our rest in him, then we can spread that to the rest of the world. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the fact that your goal for us is healthy and restful and stability and a, a good relationship with you. And that the rules that you hand down to us, the laws that you say that we need to follow, that they're not hard, they're not overwhelming, but they do lead us into that restful relationship with you. I pray that we would, we would be aware of that, that we would try and follow the things that you've called us to do, but we wouldn't worry as much about what everybody else says about the rules, that we would actually focus on, on our relationship with you. And that as we do that, as we rest in you and, and as we experience your grace and your love, that we would pass that around to the world around us. That we would be lights of, of your love and your tenderness in, in a world that is broken, that is smoldering, that, that cannot handle the strength. We pray this in your name. Amen.